Thriving, Not Surviving, with your host, Gina Gardner. To lead others, you first need to be the best version of yourself and lead from a place of wholeness. Motivation, empowerment, leadership, personal and spiritual development are just a few of the topics you will hear on Thriving, Not Surviving. So sit back and enjoy the show with your host, Gina Gardner. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thriving Not Surviving. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to introduce my guest to you today, Madeline Black. Now, as you know, I like to read the bio because I really don't want to miss anything. And this is a hugely rich um, opportunity today. So, Madeline Black has an unusual personal story which she uses to inspire and motivate others. She chose to forgive the two men who gang raped her at 13 years old and she shares her story for many reasons. She wants to end the shame, stigma and silence surrounding sexual violence, enabling others to find their voice, whatever their story is. She wants people to know that it's not what happens to us that's important, but what we do with it. Madeline shows how changing her mindset tapped into her resilience and transformed her life, making people question their own thinking and encouraging them to see that there are always choices to make. And if we choose to, we can get past anything that happens to us in life, both professionally and in our personal life. The sharing of her story publicly on the Forgiveness Project's website in September 2014 opened many doors for Madeline in ways she never imagined, and the invitations started to pour in. In March 2018, she won the Amazing Strength Award at the number one magazine Amazing Women's Award. And in October of the same year, she was asked to be the patron for Say Woman, a Scottish organisation which offers safe accommodation and support to young women who are survivors of sexual abuse, rape and who are homeless. Her memoir, Unbroken, and I really recommend that you buy it and read it, was published in April 2017. Madeline, a huge, huge welcome. Thank you. One of the reasons I'm so pleased to welcome you is although your story is about abuse, the principles of how you live your life are true for anybody who's facing a challenge. Absolutely. And that's really why I share it, because I'm not superhuman. You know, we all have that ability to tap into our strength and our courage and our resilience. And ultimately, once I worked the trauma out of my system, my body, I saw it was a choice to how I want to live my life. Would you mind sharing your story with us? Because I think it's just so powerful. Yep. So as you mentioned in the bio, I was just 13. I had a friend at school that was just... She was like one of the most popular girls in class and things at home were not so great. My mum was bedridden and my dad was out working all day and my friend suggested a night out and I guess it was a bit of excitement, you know, following what was going on at home and I said yes and we both did something that I'm sure most people have done. We lied about where we were staying so we had her mum's empty flat because her mum was away. We were meant to be with her grandmas but we both lied about where we were staying 
and somehow we bought a bottle of vodka which we drank and I had obviously never drunk before and it didn't take me very long and I was throwing up everywhere and we were in a cafe in North London and two of the young men that were there at our table put us into a taxi to take us back to her mum's flat, the empty flat and it just became very clear really quickly that they weren't there to take me out of my clothes to let me sleep off the alcohol, that they were there something else and really about four or five hours of rape and torture from these two young men that's unbelievable so how do you at age 13 at a time when that's sort of the transition isn't from playing with the dolls to wanting to be grown up what was the immediate aftermath of of what happened for you Yeah, it had a huge impact on me. I really shut down and I numbed out. I really kind of stopped speaking because one of the very last things they said to me was that if I tell anyone they would kill me, and I I believe them, I looked into the eyes of the one that I call the worst one, and I thought, yeah, he has that potential. He could kill a human being. And so I shut down, so I didn't speak. I became anorexic. I used drugs and alcohol to numb out. I had depression. I had no self-worth, no self-belief, full of self-doubt, became very promiscuous. And I just thought there was no point to being alive. And I attempted suicide, which led me into a three-month stay in a children's psychiatric ward. And I had my 14th birthday there. So I was in a very dark place for a long time. So how do you come back from that to this amazing woman that you are now? I'm sure it wasn't easy, but it it must have been a a process. Absolutely, and that's why I always want to remind people that they look at me if they've got a similar situation, they're struggling. I didn't get here overnight. It is exactly that. It is a process. So my behaviour, even when I left hospital, didn't improve. I was just partying hard, using everything I could to numb out and forget. And my parents suggested that I go away for some time to get away from the so-called bad influences. So I went to Israel for a year and I spent six months on a kibbutz and six months in a town called Ashkelon. And I met my now husband um, 37 years ago, just a few years ago. And it was really with his love that I saw, couldn't understand it at first, I would actually drive the poor man mad. But he showed me that I was lovable, that I could give love back in return, that I could slowly learn to like myself, maybe even love myself. I, I would think, well, I can't be so bad if this gorgeous man wants to spend time with me. And it was before mobile phones and before cheap flights. So he, we came back and he lived in Glasgow and I lived in London and we'd take the overnight train or, or write letters. <laughs> and, you know, we're still together now. And I just slowly over time with his love, it really helped to just... Uh, transform the pain and the hate but it was still a long way to go after that can I just interrupt you and ask how old were you when you went to Israel because I do think you know seeing the time frame to these because instant results don't yeah it was about three four years later so I was just nearly 17 I stayed there for a year We got married when I was 23 and just before we got married or before he, when he asked me to marry him, I reminded him, you know, I'm never going to become a mum because I thought giving birth was just going to be like being raped again. And I was terrified. I had this huge fear and phobias. I had many fears and phobias, but mainly giving birth, being around men and my safety. And he was fine. So we were married for a few years 
two, three years, and I don't know why I live in Glasgow, because I love the sunshine. And when we could, we would travel to all these beautiful, warm, exotic places every winter, save up all our annual leave. And we were in Thailand this particular time, and he asked me the question again, and I was all ready to say no. But something happened in that moment, and I thought, if I, if I never become a mum, I am still giving all my power and control over to these two men and they've got no idea that I'm doing that. They, you know, it doesn't impact on their life. And I just, I don't know where this strength came from, but I thought I am determined to become a mum and I'm going to live my life as best as I can. And I just refused to be identified by what had happened to me. So about two years later, I had my first of three daughters, but then I thought I was okay. And it's like, it's like layers, you know, I think I'm now a psychotherapist as well. So I, I look at it like an onion that, that we do a little bit of work for some time and things are, are bearable. They're okay. We can carry on. And then there's another layer. So we do some more work and then there's another layer. So but there was a, a final, final layer. But yeah, it set me on a path of healing and self-discovery and personal development for years. And I, I believe it's never done. Well, no. Development and growth, it's a lifelong lesson. Absolutely. But then it gets to a point where it's not, um, it's not just cleaning up the trauma. Now it's about growing. So I do believe there is a thing called uh, post-traumatic growth. And I, I would never wish what happened to me on anybody else, but I don't think I would undo it now because it has taught me so much and shown me so much. And I, I often think without it, what would I be? You know, I'd... I don't know, I think I'd still be shut down from a different, you know, just not and not connecting with my life or myself. I'd be very different, I think. And whilst our stories are incredibly different, and I'm not in any way trying to, um, to compare like with like, but I've had my own challenges around physical health. Yeah. And again, I believe that 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 has given me a huge gift yeah. so you can understand what i mean so yeah. i understand where you're coming from but i suspect that some of our listeners will find that a real challenge to take on board yeah. but i think a simpler one which perhaps people can resonate with is i've worked with a number of people who've been made redundant and at the time it has felt like the end of the world yeah and for many people they would say well in comparison that's trivial but in terms of people's lives and disruption and fear, the, the fear it generates of who am I and what am I going to do? Um, and yet talk to them a year, two, three years later when um, they have taken that opportunity. Um, and though many times I've heard them say, do you know, it was a great thing that happened to me. And I'm really grateful yeah, that actually that challenge came into my life. Yeah, and sometimes we need something in life to wake us up. But I also think it's not, it's not about comparison because it's not what happens to us really that's important. It's what we do with it. I think that's what really matters. I think so. I'd like to explore with you the whole issue of forgiveness. Yeah. Because my view, and I would, I would like your to, but my view is forgiveness is not about condoning and it's not about forgetting, yeah. but it's actually cutting the chains that keep you stuck Absolutely. in the past. Yeah. And what was your process? How did you, and indeed I'm I've made the assumption that you have forgiven I have. Well, I never intended to forgive them, but I kind of call myself an accidental forgiver. So my eldest daughter, Anna, turned 13. I was studying psychotherapy and I was doing tons of personal development. So 
now looking back, it's obvious the memories were always going to come back. But when they came back, I just thought I was going mad. I thought if it was so bad, I would remember it. But I was getting new information all the time. Often when I was asleep, I, in my dream state, the nightmares would wake me up. So I went back to therapy and to make the pictures go away. I didn't want to see them anymore. So I was the worst kind of client because you can't make the pictures go away. And that ended up about three years of therapy. And very near to the end, my therapist, Ron, said to me, you know, maybe they weren't born rapists. And I was just really angry at first, but then... Interesting thing to say. Really angry, yeah. I, couldn't, I was so outraged from that day you say that, but it sent me on this journey of inquiry and wanting to understand, you know, how could two young men, because they were only 17 or 18, so they weren't much older than me, how did they know to be so violent? You know, where did that come from? And I wanted to understand... And then I started to see, you know, what they seen or heard or even experienced themselves. And I have a good friend, Anne, who's a midwife, and she said something to me years ago, which I never, ever forgot. And she told me that she has delivered thousands of babies and she never once met an evil one. And, you know, just like her, I, I, I believe we're all born equal. We come in a blank piece of paper, but we get corrupted or conditioned by life. And somehow... I started to feel compassion in my heart towards them because, you know, they have to live with what they did to me. I chose to clean up, live my best life, and I've done a really good job. But they, they have to carry that with them, and I don't think that would be easy. So you're exactly right. To me, forgiveness was for giving me a better chance. Nothing to do with them. You know, I didn't need them in a meeting to say they were sorry. I could decide that within my heart. And it was, it was cutting all those chains that kept me down and tied me to my past. And it was my key to freedom, totally, because it allowed me to understand, bring in compassion for me and for them and just let it all go. Because I was filled with anger and hate and revenge for years. I plopped these fantasies in my mind, which clearly is not healthy. Uh, but then I just, I could just let it go. So it was always for me. It was never to do with them. Yeah. And I think people listening to this, you know, the the power of forgiveness yeah. um, in order to give you freedom, I think is just amazing. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the great big things, but because often it's the little things that people hold yeah. on to, the little I still struggle as well, you know, like, oh, have you left the toilet seat up again, you know, <laughs> and I get annoyed, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a working thing. It's always, it's always working it. But I often find with clients, uh, it's, it's the forgiving of themselves, even if they've been, and I've worked with many abused people, and you think at a logical level, why would they feel they needed to forgive themselves, bearing in mind that they were completely innocent victims? Yeah, you know, I think it's almost a biological response, which is backed up by society. So instantly I thought it was my fault. I'd lied about where I was staying. I'd met boys. I'd bought alcohol. I was, you know, I brought it on myself. And then you, whether you're aware or not, subconsciously, all the messages that we get in music and film and people's attitude, luckily there wasn't social media, but, but now, you know, what was she wearing? What was she thinking? What was she drinking? But I know uh, without a doubt now, 100% of all rapes are caused by rapists because we know that babies are raped. We know boys are raped. We know women and burkas are raped. It's nothing to do with their clothing, their attitude, what they were drinking, where they were 
women in their homes are raped, you know, so I know it now. But for years, it was my guilt and my shame that kept me quiet because I was appalled at myself. I had really, really low opinion. I thought I was worthless and contaminated. And if people knew I had wrongly assumed, they would look at me in that way as well, that they wouldn't want to know me. So we silence ourselves and we get silenced by society as well. It doesn't help. It's interesting, isn't it? If you look at what's happened in the last few years with the, um, it started off in Hollywood, didn't it, with uh, people speaking out. What's your take in terms of, of have we moved on? Because um, as we record this, we're still in lockdown and we hear that that, um, domestic violence has been hugely on the increase. Um, what's your take in terms of... You know, it's not the coronavirus or COVID that causes the murders of these women. These men were abusive beforehand. And for anyone that has a hard life before this, their life just got harder. So to be locked in with your abusive partner, I could think of nothing worse. But I think the hashtag MeToo was an amazing thing because it allowed people to find their voice. And I think when we don't find our voice, we hold ourselves back. And when we hold ourselves back, we're limiting our life. We're limiting our thoughts, our self-beliefs, our mindsets. So, you know, I just felt like once I spoke out, I stepped into my shame and it shattered it. I don't care who knows because I'm not my body. You know, I'm not the things that were done to me. I'm, I'm so much more than of that night. But the hashtag me too, for me, personal it was just after my book came out, so it was amazing. And it connected me with people I'd never connected before. So last night on Twitter, Rose McGowan, who's the Hollywood movie star, the first one to accuse Harvey Weinstein, was sending me a message on Twitter. There's no way in real life I would ever meet these people. Rosanna Arquette, all of the Hollywood movie stars, we, there's a huge army of supporters over on Twitter or lots of social media and I think the more of us that speak out, we, we help each other find our voice. It is a ripple effect. Um, yeah, there's tons of work still to do. The judicial system is awful and there's still a lot of victim blaming and rape culture. But I think it helped a lot of men and women, hello cat, to find their voice, you know, and to speak out. And it is, it, you know, when I did my TEDx in Glasgow, there were 2,000 people. So I've never spoken to so many people before. So it was terrifying but it was so liberating as well you know like this is me and I don't care who knows anymore so it was it was really good to find my voice the best thing I've ever done. Now you've been doing work um, to help and support women who have gone through abuse domestic abuse if somebody is listening to this and they are going through domestic violence domestic abuse sexual abuse whatever what would your advice be to them? Well, I would say it's never, ever too late to find your voice and get support. I was very lucky. I've been interviewed by amazing people. And I was interviewed by Sir Trevor MacDonald, which obviously was pretty fabulous. Yeah. But it was afterwards, um, what was more amazing, my friend's mum had been listening to the show to cut a very long story short. She was 81 at the time. and She ended 64 years of her silence when she told her daughter she had also been raped. So... She said it has changed something between the two of them. That her mum is lighter, she's more energised, and she's now sharing different things that she never knew as well. But to find your voice, you know, to be listened to, to be heard, but to be believed, there's nothing more powerful than that. And you don't need to find a therapist, but 
be careful who you tell. Be, really trust the person you share your story with. And if you can't find anyone, just stop denying your story. Write it down for yourself. But the good thing is all the services are still open. I know when this is aired, we might be out of uh, isolation. But the helplines are still there. There's always someone at the end of a phone to get support. I think that, you know, it's so important, isn't it, to reach out. And it can feel daunting. You know, will they believe me? Can they do anything? Yeah. And one of the challenges, I think, is that people, they're browbeaten so that their sense of who they are is so yes. squished and diminished that believing that they have a voice that's, that, that is worth and that comes from the impact of domestic abuse when you live with someone that constantly runs you down and it's like a form of brainwashing really it tells you you're a worthless mother nobody else would have you what are you doing what's that you're wearing what who cooked that you know when you're constantly eroded away drip by drip you lose your self-belief and your self-confidence i worked in women's age for about 14 years and it was often when it went up a gear when the children were involved you know the women they would sadly take a lot but they say oh actually he hit me when I had my baby in my arms I can't take that it's time to leave so it's, again it's a process you know women they say maybe you can take up to seven times to leave returning and going back but there's no judgment it's not an easy thing it takes courage to leave it takes courage to stay in that situation as well but eventually I hope that women will see it's unhealthy it's not helping them and they are so better away from the abusive relationship and they can start to really rebuild their life again and I still keep in contact with lots of women that were in our refuge um, through social media I haven't worked in women's aid for years and they're doing brilliant they've met other partners or they haven't but they're loving their life they're believing in themselves again and, and you can there is life after abuse and rape absolutely isn't it interesting how women won't do it for themselves some women yeah not just about abuse but in terms of of taking time to work on themselves uh, yeah. because they recognise that in doing that, they're giving their children a huge gift. Yeah. But even now, you know, I, my husband's just gone back to work, but I've got two children home that weren't here before, one studying for a master. So I want to make sure there's good food in the house, look after her. My other one had to cut her travels early. She was devastated. So as a role as a mother, a carer, a woman, we often put ourselves on the back burner, you know, keeping everything calm and quiet in the house for everyone else. But you have to look after yourself as well. There has to be self-care because if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Yes. They often talk about the cycle of abuse, that people who are abused are um, often caught up in that cycle and the cycle repeats itself. And my understanding is that that's not only in terms of the abuser, but people who are part of an abusive family will often find themselves being choosing to be with somebody who is also abusive. Do you think there is anything that you know we can, uh, perhaps within schools or within society, what would your recipe be to help stem that tide? Yeah, I think the earlier we start talking to children about consent, so even as young as nursery, two or three, doesn't I don't mean about sexual con consent, but about what is respect, what is a healthy relationship, areas on your body that can be touched or can't be touched. Um, you know, even when I was little... I would be forced to go and kiss my great uncle or my granny in hairy beards and, you know, go and sit on someone's knee. Yeah. Nobody asked me if I wanted to do that. Go and give your granny a kiss. Go and give your great uncle a kiss. You know, all these messages that we put out there, it's always about choice. So to really 
educate people what is healthy and what is unhealthy in a relationship from a young age, to me, that, that is just so valuable. We really need to get the message clear. And they are doing a lot of work in schools. There's a thing called the pants. So you're not touched in your pants area or your bikini area at all by anyone that you don't give any permission to. And if you are, you go and tell someone. So there's some very creative ideas to clear that up. And, but going back to your point about people that abuse may go on to be abusers. You know, it was only when I wrote my book that I realized I had been raped three more times. I had put it down to being promiscuous and I'd had a lot of bad sex, but I had said no and they said yes and just carried on. But I have never, so that's five men that have raped me, I've never gone on to abuse anyone else. I've never gone on to harm anyone. So that may apply to some people and it, it may not apply. And I think I need to just make it clear. I'm not for a moment saying that if you are abused or no, I I, absolutely has demonstrated that there is some correlation in terms of a greater proportion than than the the uh, the general population. So I think it comes from a very hurt place. I think hurt people hurt people. So when we're not healed. Somehow we attract abusers. Uh, you know, I like to look at ourselves as ships and we fly flags. So sometimes our flag just brings in someone that knows we're vulnerable. You know, they see what flag you're flying and they, they know that you're an easy target. So the other three times that I was raped, I was an easy target. And I did put myself in those positions, but it wasn't about me as well. I didn't have the resources then or the insight to see this is happening again. You know, it just was, I just thought then that, that was all I was worth. I had no regard for my body or myself. So I'm agreeing with you, but I do believe it comes from a very hurt and unhealed place when we do attract in other abusers. I think that's true of abuse at its worst form, but it's also true of people who are, are bullying and yeah. bullish about um, their their sense of needing to control and be seem to be right. And, and for, for me, I think I absolutely agree with what you're saying, but I, having spent such a long time in education, I think for me that one of the other things that parents and teachers can do to help is help children develop a really healthy sense of self-worth absolutely, and confidence. Yeah. Because if you are, if you believe you are, enough that you are worthy when somebody starts to treat you less well than that you'll walk away or you won't put up with it but if you have no self-worth then it starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you don't believe that you deserve and so you'll put up with more yeah and abusers are very manipulative they're very clever they know who they target who's an easy target but also to create the space where we can have these courageous conversations, where it's okay to speak about, out about the difficult things. Because you know, people sometimes struggle to hear what I say because I do share details of what happened to me. But, and people don't like to speak about the difficult things. We only like to put our energy on the nice things. But, but life is everything. You know, there's good and bad, dark and light all over the place. And it's only by shining the light and the dark stuff do we help to eradicate it. I think you're absolutely right. And I think you know, sharing the truth, but doing it in, as you so beautifully do, in a non-sensational way, yeah. which is about you know, stripping away a, a lot of the, um, the drama and leaving the truth in terms of how this impacts not only on your life, but on the people around you. 
and that's true for, for everyone. And I can only really do it from that no drama place because I have worked it and worked it so much. I've had every therapy going, but I'm really in a really good place and I wouldn't be able to speak or write about it if I wasn't healed. And that's also why I speak, because I want people to see there is hope that you can heal and you can have a great life and it can actually grow you. You know, what you go through, you grow through. Yes. So it really, yeah, showed me a lot. And I know from, from you know, my work with, with people who've been abused that actually they can thrive once they face what's happened to them and they start to deal with that. And you know, if you're listening or watching this, one of the things that I hope that you will take from this is whatever your circumstances, if you are being bullied, abused, if you are in a, a, a challenging situation, it's actually something that you can change and that there are people out there who can help you. Absolutely. And I'd really recommend people that to go and buy your book. So where can they find your book, Madeline? Uh, it's called Unbroken. It's been out about three years now and it's on Amazon. And actually just last week or the week before, it's now an audio book. And um, just, just luckily before lockdown, I signed a contract for translation right for another country. I'm not allowed to reveal what country yet. So hopefully it will be available in other languages soon as well. The first of translations coming. So that's exciting. So I really recommend that you get the book. And if you are in a position of um, uh, where you need a speaker to be inspirational, to share and to empower women, then I suggest that you contact Madeline because she's an amazing speaker. Thank you. My huge thanks to you. It's been a really powerful session, I believe. I hope it will give um, people who are listening hope and a, a recognition that whatever life throws at you, it's what you do with it that makes the difference. Absolutely. And you can survive pretty well anything. Absolutely. It's not what knocks us down, it's how we stand back up that's really important. So thank you once again. I'm indebted to you for sharing with us. Don't go away. Um, we're going to have a short break and then we're going to uh, reconvene for genuine chat. So see you in a couple of minutes. Thank you. If you're a businesswoman, who is overwhelmed or suffering from imposter syndrome, who is tired of having one disastrous relationship after another, or who finds it hard just to say no. Well, it's time to take care of you. You get the best out of life by contacting Gina Gardner, relationship coach and best-selling author and motivational speaker. Just visit genuinely-u.com or you can email Gina directly at Gina at genuinely-u.com Take action now. Start to thrive rather than simply survive. Imagine being a highly successful, enlightened leader who is in complete alignment with your best self. 
who makes a positive difference on a daily basis. Let me introduce Gina Gardner, an expert in developing transformational leadership with over 30 years of experience. Gina has developed a unique and unrivaled approach to help you step into your genuine power to become an enlightened leader. And when you do, amazing things happen. Go to enlightenedleadership.co or email Gina at gina at genuinely-u.com. Hello there, and welcome back to the second part of today's radio show. As usual in the second part of my show, I am joined by my very good friend, Rachel Davidson. Now, both of us are international number one best-selling authors. My books are all around self-development, leadership, training, and so on. But Rachel's books are all about a spiritual life journey. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the theme of today's um, Genuine Chat. Mm. life journeys Gina Mm, interesting it is isn't it because you know when you think about life you tend to think about the bit of life that you're in and you don't look at it as a whole and so things can that seem monumental at the time you know the mountain molehill test there are times when you're in your life when things seem so monumental and yet when you look back at them you think to yourself what was all that about Mm. And that those things that we find very challenging that you look back and think, you know, I've grown out of that hugely. Mm. And so I thought it would be useful to, you know, for the next 20 minutes to explore the different stages of life and how the, the journey is all part of our spiritual growth and spiritual development. Yes. So, If you're listening to this, just think about your life to date um, and think about the changes and transitions that have happened since you were born. And, you know, certainly as a tiny baby, looked after by other people and had no will of your own. And then about two with the terrible twos and the traumatic threes trying to assert your independence and create a, a sense of being within the world. And then you go off to school and there are external influences. Yeah. And we could spend all time, the time looking at those formative years. But I would think, I think that what I'd rather do is to start thinking about as we reach adulthood and we start to take on the mantle of responsibility for ourselves and for what we do, how experiences give us the opportunity to learn. We are lifelong students aren't we in terms of being the student of our own life and our own experience yes yes well I mean I think the first thing that sort of occurs to me to say is that there there is there are very good reasons why a we are sent to earth to live a human life to feel the the material universe the physical matter and to be separated in in a in a sense and having arrived on planet Earth, we forget all of our previous existence as 
as the um, source of of divinity or whatever your vocabulary is around things that are bigger than yourself. So, um, so, so we, we are definitely meant to not remember all of our knowledge beforehand. And, and that I think is a, a fundamental starting point for um, any sort of philosophical or spiritual consideration. Um, because the journey is the learning. You are meant to, to rediscover meant to work your way back to remembering, um, meant to, in, in efforting, to use one of your phrases, Gina, life again, you're meant to um, attempt to be um, better than you were previously, possibly, or, or to, to go through fundamental lessons that are possibly attached to your karmic account um, so previous lives and what, what you did and didn't do, um, what you've set your intention for this particular reincarnation to be. So that's the reason why we don't arrive as babies and have all of the learning of, of middle age. <laughs> um, and it, it is actually, you know, physically manifested in, in our bodies in the sense of um, our chakras and how they um, can be awoken with our learning and our, our gathering of wisdom and also the concept around the kundalini energy rising which is um twofold so you, you you do one cycle and then you get to about middle age and you 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 do another cycle this is often why people have middle age crises as we think of them because they are effectively being born again so the cycle can sort of be you know you you go through your teenagehood, you go through all of the, the learning and the stress around, around well, everything when you're a teenager. I mean, it's one of life's awful moments, isn't it? <laughs> yes. you, you often move through your 20s in quite a materialistic way. It's about acquiring stuff and it's when you're possibly most ambitious and led by your um, solar plexus, you know, the ego and so on. And then you start to get to your middle age and you start to realise that actually all of that acquiring... You've probably got yourself a flash car if you're doing well. You've probably got yourself a nice house. You've probably acquired um, a trophy husband. <laughs> or wife. Let's not be sexist about this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a couple of kids. Uh, and, um, uh, and still life doesn't quite fulfill. So this is, this is when often people will return again to base chakra, which is, of course, about survival and fear. This is, um, yeah, this is sort of the starting point um, around... And, they, and often people can go one or two ways. They can either get very fearful about life and spend the rest of their time on earth being protectionists and staying quite low in their kundalini energy. Or they can rise again and realize that the acquiring served its purpose, but that life is deeper and has more philosophical meaning than, than just um, con consumerism. And I use that term not just in the sense of heading off to the shops and buying a new jacket, but, but in, in the, all of the... Uh, definition of that that word so so these life stages this uh, you know approaching your, your latter your latter years is is sort of preordained to have a certain rhythm and a certain cycle to it um in my view <laughs> I, and i would agree with you and i think you know it's interesting because i think people who are listening to this may come from the spiritual standpoint that you have shared and that will feel very familiar to them 
but there will be others who will think, well, I don't subscribe to uh, <laughs> coming uh, back again. Yeah. It, it works at both levels because right. if you think about very small children, they have no sense of, I can't, they don't worry about how they look. We've said before, you know, when children are learning to walk and they fall over, they don't have that sense of failure or does my bum look big in this nappy. Mm -hmm. They just get on with it and they are full of curiosity and awe and wonder. And I find it interesting if you look through the, the different ages, you know, teenage years, for most teenagers, full of absolute angst and the need to fit in. Mm. You know, if there isn't a school uniform uh, formally, there's always a uniform that if you're part of the in crowd, that you know, whether it's all wearing black or all wearing sports clothes or whatever, mm -hmm. that need to belong and to fit in mm. is very, very strong. And then, as you say, you go out into the world as an adult and you, you forge the... Um, the route that either you've chosen actively or one that has been in a sense chosen for you because you've not made an active choice mm. and either way as you go through life you have the opportunity to learn the lessons and in my experience not only for myself but with clients is that when you don't choose to learn the lesson that the experience gives you, let's use the example of, um, of having a, um, an, a relationship that's not loving, that is, you know, anything from being unhappy to toxic. Mm. How often people make that same mistake and choose the same sort of person over and over again and think it's because of the other person rather than recognizing that actually they need to do the deep work on themselves mm -hmm. and start to love themselves in order then to be very clear about the, who the sort of person they want to be with and know that they deserve to be with somebody loving. This is, this is a very human um, sort of trait though. It, it, I don't know why, it brings to mind one of my very early managers in one of my first uh, jobs in, in, uh, British telecommunications, actually, as, as it was, the uh, telephone network here in the UK. It's a blast from the past. Yeah. And um, and there was one particular manager who, I, I, mean, I can't remember her name. It doesn't matter. I won't name and shame her. But so this is the late 80s that I started work. Um, so bear in mind the fashion of the late 80s. Well, she was wearing early 70s fashion still. And she really stood out because she she was like Mrs. Miss Ham Havisham <laughs> for walking around in, in 19... And, because I was young, because I didn't want to be nosy, and because I hadn't learned the life lessons that I have now, I didn't bother to actually go up to her and say, why do you dress like that? What has happened? What happened in that year that you yeah. froze everything in your life? Your, your fashion and your yeah. outward appearance being very symbolic of where somebody is emotionally, I always think. So, um, this is a very human thing to do. We we get to a point where we feel we can't we can't get more successful, or you know we're comfortable, and and then the rest of it begins to look quite frightening. So so we decide to stay stay stopped, and we think that's okay. You know that we can do that. That's an option. But of course, in reality, what you what you're doing is um, alien to the universal process. Um, you know, again, one of your phrases is even when you're standing still, you're, you're not really standing still. No. Because everything else is moving. What you're doing is falling back. You just can't perceive it so well because of your choices around 
what you're choosing to perceive and what you're choosing to yeah to, to see and and do so um you know i think for so many people the fear of the unknown the fear of stepping out of their comfort zone is you know really interesting mm. i was listening to a conference yesterday and they were talking about the different zones you know i must zone um, the likelihood is you're never going to do it. Mm. You know, I really must get on and tidy my wardrobes or I really must go for a walk, but it's raining. Mm. Um, and then I should, and that's an interesting word, I should. Mm. And that tends to uh, create all s- levels of guilt. You know, I should be doing this, but I don't really want to. I should be eating carrots and salad, but actually what I really want is a donut. Mm. Um, and then I could, um, but will you Mm. until the last zone is I will, I choose to actively do that. Mm. And I think for so many people, they stay in one of the other zones, always thinking about what might be, Mm. but not having the bravery, the courage to be uncomfortable, to be in a situation that feels unfamiliar. Mm. And so even if it's really, really uncomfortable, toxic even Mm. they will stay where they are because that feels safer yeah but of course going back to if if you are um open to the concepts around the the physical manifestation of spiritual energy in your body this this kundalini rising for the second time it's you know it's going to happen you yes. can't stop it. You can't, you can, you might be able to stop all of the behavior that you're, you're, you know, you're feeling compelled to do because it frightens you and you, you know, so on and so forth, but you can't stop it except you can block it. And, yes. but, but you can't block it benignly. No, no, in fact, it has a really detrimental effect, doesn't it? When you do there block some, it. There are some theories. I mean, certainly the mystic schools will talk about how um, our health, our physical manifestation is, entirely within our choice and so i extrapolate that to to mean that if if i'm deliberately blocking um a, a, a necessary spiritual lesson from myself so stopping my kundalini rising in some way perhaps it gets up to my my solar plexus and, and i don't i don't have the guts to you know use my willpower so i try to block it here or maybe i let it rise up to my throat but i you know i i, I can't speak my truth because i'm too frightened of the conflict it'll create or whatever then these are the areas in the body that will start to become energetically congested and so there are theories around and uh, around the fact that um this is where dis-ease comes from this is yeah. why um you know certain um, illnesses start to happen and it's fundamentally because you're not doing the learning that you know you sort of set yourself the intention to do when you came down to this planet so i mean you know life stages are you know it's it's not just (laughs) it's not just something that happens Uh, there are there's meaning between and about every single aspect of it I think there's two things I'd like to say. The first is if you think about a drain being blocked mm. and the problems that that creates and the bad smell and the, the <laughs> danger of disease because um, there is an opportunity for, for nasty organisms to grow. I think when we block ourselves and we stop ourselves from reaching our potential, there is always that, that backflow of... Um, of negativity and it's usually directed at ourselves you know that I feel guilty because 
I feel um, frustrated because, mm-hmm. I feel angry because. Mm-hmm. And there's now huge scientific evidence that demonstrates that if you live in that place of, of heightened anxiety or heightened anger, mm-hmm. that the body actually creates a whole range of chemicals in reaction. And if those are not, uh, not worked off and exercise and laughter are two of the great ways to do that, that they're not worked off, those stress hormones, raise your blood pressure they make you more likely to have a heart attack or a stroke they they um they depress your immune system so we can see that when the spiritual message and the science actually dovetail and help you know people who are listening to this recognize you sit quietly with yourself and think about am i blocked am i fulfilling my potential And I think this is particularly true of people who, as they reach retirement, you know, my life is over, I'm going to do lunch and I'm going to go and play golf, but they're not satisfied. And I would say to whatever stage of life that you are at, it's your choice whether you embrace it, even though at times it can feel uncomfortable, whether you're prepared to learn um, and move out of one experience with the knowledge that actually I'm not going to do that again, but I'm going to try something else with the curiosity to explore the possibilities and the, you know, the courage to give it a go Mm. because for the most part, giving it a go, you'll either decide you like it and carry on or that you don't and you won't. It's your choice. Mm. Remember you are the common denominator that you take into your life. Every moment, of every day Mm. and whatever age you are whatever your belief system is i'm urging you to step into your genuine power and to become the leader of your own life Mm. now if you're interested in reading um rachel's books and i can tell you they are brilliant i've read them several times They are a series would you like to just give people the thumb the heads up in terms of the series Um, It's a series called Beyond Veils, and there are three books in that. The first book is called The Point of Me, second book, The Truth of Her, and the third book, The Hope of Us. So available on Amazon in various formats. And they really track life through the three books and some of the major major themes of life. So I would really urge you, great Christmas present, um, if you haven't got your Christmas presents already, so go for it. Um, You'll also find a huge amount of information on the Genuinely You website. It's genuinely, then a hyphen and the word you.com. If you're uh, interested in leadership, then go to enlightenedleadership.co. But what I'd also ask you to do is go to the Genuinely You YouTube site. Please subscribe. There is a huge amount of free material there. Uh, Please do go and uh, have a look, subscribe and share. Thank you so much for joining us today um, and join us next time on BBS Radio. Um, Been great to have you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. Bye.